Hi everyone, welcome to the Right Angle Podcast. This is the podcast that focuses on the process of design, where each episode I will highlight one exceptional creative individual with unique perspectives and experiences within the world of spatial design through actual conversations about their design principles, philosophy, and process. I want to discover what makes each designer, artillier, and artist unique. I'm your host, Al Liu, an interior designer in New York City. In the world that celebrates influencers, The Right Angle will be a podcast that celebrates real designers who makes the industry what it is, and for listeners to get a glimpse into the true creative mind. In this episode of the Red Angle Podcast, I interview Shelley Goldberg, Executive Creative Director and Senior Vice President at Raj Overseas. Raj started out as a legacy textile factory in India in 1939, and today the company is an international textile enterprise that manufactures and designs high-quality products with a focus on sustainability and fair trade. Shelley joined Raj Overseas in 2018 after being the head of textile design at Westdale. Since then, she established a New York office for the company from ground zero and created four annual rug and home decor collections that premiered at New York Market Week and European trade shows. Under her lead, Raj Overseas expanded into the mid to top tier home retail market, where some of her diverse clients include Westdale. Anthropology, Serena Lilly, Design Within Reach, Johnson Adler, Parachute Home, Coach, Michael Kors Visual Teams, Soho House, and many other esteemed brands. Shelley has a master degree in textile design from Central Saint Martins, and she combined her theoretical background with years of client-side practical experience to create designs for the real world. Her superpower is partner with high-end retailers to create exquisite rugs at the right price. Hi, Shelley. Welcome to the Red Angle Podcast. Hi, Al. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for being here. So, on this podcast, I always start by asking the guests their design philosophy. So, could you tell us a little about that and, like, what are some of the principles that guide you throughout the design process? I would say the most important elements of my design philosophy. Are probably driven by the desire to make a high-quality product.、Mm-hmm. Um, to think about the brand that I'm working for, and make sure that the product is、um, messaging in the correct way, so it's on brand.、Um, and wherever possible, I might try to include sustainable materials. And sustainable practices, and also wherever possible, try to use fair trade workers. The second point you mentioned earlier is like you really focus on sustainability. So is that a normal thing in the industry, or you guys are pretty pioneer among that? So I would say that our company are pioneers in terms of sustainable practices, incorporating、um, recycled materials into our products. And we have been fair trade certified since 2014. We are the very first home textile company in the world to be fair trade certified. That basically protects workers in developing countries. So by us setting up fair trade facilities under our factory umbrella, we are guaranteeing、uh, fair pay, comfortable working practices. Along with many other benefits that these workers will get by working for us,、mm-hmm. and、um, it's a guarantee and a bit of insurance that a customer will get that they know that there will be no child labor involved, that they know that these workers will have set hours, that they will be paid fairly for the contributions to the orders that they are producing.、Mm-hmm. And what make you realize? Okay, so as a you know textile designer, you have a responsibility on you know sustainability and fair trade. Like, what influenced you to have that view? Because I think a lot of times in our design industry, people are not really looking into what you you know just mentioned, like part of your design philosophy. So, what influenced you on those? Well, I would say it's driven a lot by our contemporary life,、mm-hmm. with、uh, all of the issues related to climate change 
are so much more important. And I would say that the public is generally more aware. And I would say that I also deal with a, a, a customer that is pretty educated. And mm. so many of our customers, I would say not 100%, but at least 50% of them are aware of the carbon footprint that the textile industry creates on this earth. Right. And so what we try to do is balance our impact of, you know, it's impossible as a textile manufacturer to, to not generate waste, but we can of course do something about that. So it's so important when you export millions and millions of products a year to be thinking about the next generation. You don't want to be polluting a city and a, and a region in a way that nothing is left for the next generation of people who are living there. Yeah. Um, I think that's amazing that you and Raj, which is a firm you work at, try to implement sustainability into the manufacturing process. And I think it's also really nice to hear that the general public are more and more aware of that. So in the way that he pushes you to um, move forward in that direction. And I want to bring our conversation back to your design philosophy. I know you have a formal training in art and design. So I'm curious, how does that impact you in terms of the way you do or think about design? Uh my first degree was in fine art and I have a degree in printmaking and my second degree is a master's in textile design but the degree was very very creative it wasn't taught in a kind of vocational way um, and so then when I got into the world of corporate design I, I didn't have such a great opportunity to use those kinds of conceptual tools in the same in the same way right um it, i would say that my degrees were more artist based than you know what real life is working in a corporate environment and my first job working in textile design i had a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance regarding what my role was because i thought oh i went to do textile design i'm going to be able to paint and draw beautiful pictures all day and then mm -hmm. the reality of the design work was really driven by target numbers and mm. grids and spreadsheets and there wasn't so much opportunity for creativity so how do you balance that and did you like like when you working at a corporate so my initial work was in fashion and i didn't like that so much but um i that was where i felt really stunted in terms of creativity right but i did have a great foundation of creativity at West Elm. Mm -hmm. um, they started the company, I think in 2000 in San Francisco. And in 2001, they came to New York, they moved their corporate offices to Dumbo. Um, and I joined in 2002. So I was part of the original um, New York design team. And the team, when I joined the company, there were less than 30 people there. So it was an extremely creative environment. There was a lot of creative freedom. Um, there was the person who created the brands, um, Lisa Versaccio. She was very innovative at the time in creating this lifestyle brand. It actually wasn't the first lifestyle brand she had launched. I think it may have been her third lifestyle brand. And um, at the time it was, I loved it. It was so collaborative. It was so creative. I got to design many different categories. So I didn't just focus on textiles. Mm -hmm. I got to work on hard goods, um, decorative goods, um, stationery, upholstery, window treatment. Um, and we really, every there was only six or eight designers. So um, we were all sitting together in one small room, um, really thinking about brainstorming how to create the you know collection from season to season. So at the time, um, it was a really great experience for a young designer. I spent more than five years there, and I really feel like I uh, put down some fabulous foundation for myself there. In the yeah. time that I worked there, when the company started with 30 people, by the time I left, there was about 150 or 200 people. So it had really transformed yeah. um, at that point by the time I left the company um, into a full-fledged corporate lifestyle brand with 12 catalogs a year, four collections a year, multiple stores around the country. 
Um, and I felt great to be part of that. Yeah, um, that sounds like a great experience to have. And before we go into more detail about your time at West Elm, I want to know how did your education um, in fine art or art in general influence your work? Yes, very much so. I'm very influenced by fine art. My mother is an art historian. I spent um, my life since being a very young child going to museums around the world. I, I look at art with a really critical eye um, and I always have my mother kind of in my, the back of my head telling me about what I'm looking at, deconstructing the imagery. And I, I would say going to museums is probably one of my most favorite things to do. I draw a tremendous amount of inspiration particularly from contemporary art. And I try to apply what I see to my collections of rugs. Yeah. So how do you took inspiration from contemporary art to carpet? Definitely via color. Um, I might see a beautiful David Hockney drawing or painting. I recently saw an exhibition at the Morgan Library of his uh, drawings, a retrospective, and I was extremely inspired by the color palette, the the renderings and textures of his pencil drawings, and thought about how I might be able to translate those that line work into a pattern of a rug. So, when you design a rug, do you think about it, who the customer is, and how where is going to be used, or you kind of treat it more like art object than? and customer sort of like figure out where they want to put it? Well, when I do our in-house showroom collection, I definitely have more of an opportunity to draw upon influences around me. Um, so going to see art, going to trade shows, going to just look around the world around me, going into nature. I have a lot of um, the benefit of being able to, to use a lot of influences but when i have to work for a client i really have to do what they want so I, there is less opportunity to be creative but i can be creative in other ways i might be able to be creative in the weave of a rug the construction choice i use or maybe i'm incorporating a unique fiber like putting linen or nettle um, into a, a fiber weave that will make it um, seem more interesting or new or innovative but when the work is client-driven, it's harder to incorporate my personal interests. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of the design process, so could you give us an example of a past project you worked on? Okay, so I was initially contacted by a company that um, is a startup mm -hmm. and they produce very high-end outdoor furniture. They have two or three silhouettes in their collection. And they came to me because they decided they wanted to broaden their offering of products. Um, and they felt that doing outdoor rugs would be a way to grow their business um, and support what, you know, what they were already doing. So we did a Zoom call and yeah. we, they walked me through their website and told me about the materials that they incorporate into their outdoor furniture. They use uh, teak wood, they use sunbrella upholstery, they use marine grade hardware. Um, their silhouettes are very modern. The upholstery is only textured and there's no pattern. Um, and it's a very clean looking palette uh, with a contemporary sensibility. So they wanted to know what kinds of textiles, what kind of patterns would be most complementary to their existing collection. And so the, the goal was to try to put together a collection that wouldn't detract or overshadow what they're already selling, but what might be, what might complement them. Yeah. So in trying to do that, I looked through my textile archives of weaves and tried to present to them a palette of different woven constructions in only PET, which is an indoor-outdoor fiber. And then uh, we started with that as a basis. So I sent them swatches from India to review. They selected a number of them. And then the conversation turned to pattern. 
So when you create a rug, it's not just about the surface pattern, it's also about what the construction is going to be. And so they felt for their brand, and I, I would say for doing outdoor, that doing either a kit, Killim or pitloom construction, which are two different kinds of woven rugs, would be the most appropriate for their brand aesthetic and for also the functionality of being outdoors. So in thinking about those two main constructions, what kinds of patterns would lend themselves to working best? So then I put the conversation back into their lap and I said, tell me what types of patterns do you think will work best? And so they sent me a presentation of rugs already in the market and of different artwork and, and different um, patterns, just general, they're not all rug designs. No. Um, and there was a lot of influence of mid-century design, stripe patterns, color blocking. And so I reviewed that. And then we started to uh, think about, you know, how we might expand on that. So that's mm -hmm. when I go to my in-house design team in India and I set up a call with them and I share that file with them and I explain to them we're going to do pit looms, we're going to do killims, and and I give them the color palette and then my team will generate maybe 30 designs based mm -hmm. on the um, inspiration and then I will review it, do some edits, tell them that I need the color balance to change and then I would present that to the customer, which I did. And then they themselves have a design background, so they wanted to have a little bit of their own um, you know, footprint on what that collection was going to look like. So they, they edited, they removed some designs, they asked us to tweak colors, and we went through a few different rounds of um, changing the designs. And then comes the process of selecting which weave was going to go with which pattern. So mm -hmm. they let me do that for them because obviously yeah. that's the strength of the factory. Right. And at the moment, those rugs are just about to be taken off the loom and be sent to them. Once they're um, sent to them, then we'll set up another call and the client will talk me through how they will choose their assortment and what they will land on. Yeah. So how long does this process take normally? So the process from getting a brief to um, making samples is approximately two to three months. Okay. Depending on the speed at which the customer wants to move. Yeah. But the process of making rugs is, takes a long time. The lead times for production for hand-woven rugs or hand-woven hand goods in general is about 120 days. Oh. So if a customer comes to me in January mm -hmm. with a project, most likely, we are not going to have that in their warehouse to be sold until um, October or even, so it would take nine to 12 months yeah. to get that project finalized, shipped to America and start to be sold. Yeah, so people really need to plan ahead. Very much so. And then you really need to have foresight as to what the you know, designs are going to look like and how your business is going to perform from year to year. You have to make a lot of educated guesses right. on how to build your brand without really knowing um, how successful your current collection is going to be. Mm -hmm. That's difficult. Yes. And so that's interesting in terms of the process when you collaborate with a client. So I really curious, earlier you said that, you know, you, when you're designing something, the in-house collection, you have more artistic freedom. So what's that process like compared to? So we, um, our goal is to produce two full-fledged designs a year, one for March and one for September. And um, I would say as soon as the collection is, completed, we start the new process. So right now we've just completed our March collection and I'm already starting to think about what am I going to incorporate into my September collection. Mm -hmm. So in an ordinary year, that might mean going to see art. That might mean attending 15 trade shows around the world. That might mean going to three trips to India to do sourcing and research and development. That would also mean visiting clients and trying to find out what their needs are over the course of the year and for the future and getting a little bit of insight into them. Well, outdoor business is growing. So, so we really need to think about how we expand outdoor or 
the hand knot business is really taking off because people are spending more time at home. So we would really need to incorporate more hand knot rugs into our collection. Mm -hmm. um, so um, we create themes and we make concept boards in-house. And that's something that I do and I collaborate with another person um, in my company to do. And that really sets the tone as to what kinds of designs and pattern we um, produce for the next season. We generally have five concepts and with an overarching theme of sustainability. In the last few years, sustainability has been one of the most important factors in creating our collection. So we might do a collection that's based on cut out paper, like the influences of Matisse's cutouts, mm -hmm. yet we would want to incorporate linen into that, or we might want to incorporate jute into that. So it's really um, a multifaceted in terms of how we create that collection. We're thinking about the technology we want to use, the needs of the customer, patterns that are important, and then looking at um, looking around and trying to figure out um, color is also something that is hard to predict, but very, very important. It can really make or break a collection. Mm -hmm. Do you see a relation between what's going on in the art world have a direct influence to the carpet design industry or textile design industry? I do. I do. Okay. I mean, it's not, uh, it's maybe a little bit more abstract, right? but I do think that art um, really is at the top of the pyramid and I think it influences everything that is going on in society. So I think it's influencing home home design, it's influencing fashion, it's influence, uh, you know, social movements. So I think it's very important to see what um, artists are doing because I, I think they're really absorbing what's happening in the world and then um, putting their own twists their own spin on it and putting it out for us to look at and think about. And, you know, it's often critical. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to think critically about the world. It's interesting. I recently went to see a show at the Whitney mm -hmm. and um, there was an installation. It was a show about craft and there was an installation of an artist who had um, made a totem out of folded blankets and then I walked through the meatpacking district and in the Loro Piano store, um, I think the same artist had done an installation in the window out of their blankets. And they were definitely, you know, they were talking to each other. So even the person that didn't go into the museum to see the exhibition, mm. that piece of work um, was still getting communicated to the world through the fashion industry. Yeah, um, you brought up a good point that art, you know, oftentimes can make an impact on people indirectly by leading a movement on other industries that are more accessible to the general public, such as fashion, home, or even politics. And I want to pivot our conversation to the uh, technical aspect of carpet making. Um, so what are some of the major materials that can be used in the rug? Many, many materials can be used. The dominant material is wool. Uh, they, wool is very durable. Um, it's relatively easy to clean. It has a very long life. If you m buy a rug that's hand woven and it's made out of wool, you could have that for your whole life. Got it. Um, but other fibers, which are very high quality, but um, are harder to take care of, you know, you can certainly use silk, which is considered a premium fiber. You can use cotton. You can use a whole slew of plant-based fibers, like jute I'd mentioned earlier is a very uh, dominant material in the flooring industry. Coir is recycled cotton um, is something that we use. Um, and regular cotton, but that's, you know, kind of uh, has a lot of toxins associated with growing cotton. So, you know, you don't really want to make rugs out of cotton. There's also the issue of flammability. In, um, in our industry, we have to think about um, testing protocols. Yeah. So when you have a rug in your home, it has to pass a whole bunch of tests. And one of them is flammability. So you can't have large cotton rugs in your home because they won't pass flammability. So other materials are the, the recycled PET, the polyester that I'd mentioned, chenille is another fiber, viscose, 
Other plant-based fibers that are similar to viscose are bamboo fiber. And then we like to incorporate a whole other variety of recycled materials like recycled denim, mm-hmm. um, recycled cotton jersey. So mm-hmm. really, if Everything. you can believe it, newspaper. <laughs> really? New- paper? Newspaper is that durable? and candy wrappers. That is an Indian traditional technique where they make scatter rugs out of ripped up newspaper and ripped up plastic candy wrappers and they weave it into the cotton warp of a rug. Oh, that's so interesting. And what about techniques? I would say there's a few main constructions. Um, On the top of the pyramid would be hand knot rugs. Mm -hmm. So those take the longest to make. They um, are rugs that normally have a more intricate pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, The technique involves knotting every part of the design um, on a loom. Usually more than one person is involved in making an individual rug. Um, As you move down the pyramid in terms of complexity, you would go to a a kilim rug. Mm -hmm. So kilim is like a hand knot. It's a vertical loom in India. In other countries, it might be slightly different. You would also make a complex pattern on a kilim loom. And generally, kilims would be of a flat construction, but you can um, integrate a pile on it as well. So you would make um, complex patterns, Turkish patterns, Central Asian patterns, traditional scrolling patterns. And then from there, as you go to less complex would be pit loom uh, construction. So that is a loom that is a horizontal loom, sits across your waist or a weaver's waist. And um, historically, the, the loom was actually, the, the weaver would sit in the floor in a pit and the um, loom would be suspended over their lap. It, we no longer work like that. It, um, it's been updated. Um, I think that if you go to some cottage industry factories, they still work like that. But in that construction, you would do a lot more textural kinds of rugs. Got it. So you would incorporate chunky weaves. You might blend wool and jute together in a single rug or combine multiple fibers into a rug to create a lot of dimension. So a shaggy rug, for example, would be made on a pit loom. And then in terms of um, technologically driven um, rugs, there are the digitally printed ones that I spoke of earlier. Does the color like stay there a long time or like as you like keep bleach it or like you clean it and the color will just go off? Um, so the color is permanent on all the rugs, but one thing you should never do is put bleach on your rugs ever okay. <laughs> on any fiber. I'm glad I asked. There's definitely um, important care instructions if you want your rug to have a long life. Okay. So one thing is never put bleach. Okay. Um, and the other thing is never pull a loose fiber because uh, you can unravel the entire rug. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> oh, definitely so remembering that. Those are kind of the basics. There are other constructions that we do. You can do jacquard. You can do hand loom, which is a slightly different kind of modified loom than the pit loom and the kilim that I mentioned earlier. But I would say um, most of our rugs fall into the hand woven kilim, pit loom, hand knot. And one more important one that I forgot to mention is tufting. Oh, right. So tufting, um, when it's done manually, it uses a handheld gun. So um, uh, a, a person, an artisan would have a gun and it has a piece of fiber that comes out the front end of it. And they would basically tuft like as if you were painting a painting, um, a stretched piece of canvas. They would tuft the design in the same way that you might make a painting. Mm. And um, then there's a whole process of what happens after you've tufted the design in terms of finishing a rug. But um, kilim, pit loom, tufting, hand knotting, jacquard, main techniques. Got it. Um, this is so interesting listening to you talking about all those carpet making process. You'll have to come to India. I would love to. And uh, I've never been to India or a carpet factory. So that would be a fun trip for sure. Um, and, you know, based on our conversation, um, obviously you have a strong ongoing relationships with tremendous amount of well-known brands. So how did you develop and maintaining these relationships? 
so everybody has a different way of working with a vendor. Um, some brands might work with us through a sourcing team. Some might work with us through a production team. Some might be a buyer buying directly. Uh, some might be the design team. And in some cases, all those people want to be involved in the process of rug making or textile design making for their brand. Many of the customers we work with are on an ongoing basis. So if we work with West Elm or we work with Anthropology, we work with them in, a, with in, in continuity. We see them from season to season. We help them develop new product, products each season that fit the aesthetic of their brand and the quality of their brand. But sometimes we want to launch new product categories in a business. So in addition to making rugs, a large part of our business is making pillows or bath mats or other home decor items. So as uh, we develop relationships with those brands, we look at different opportunities in the business. We look at the different, what you call white spaces, and we try to figure out where we can support them in those businesses. Mm -hmm. But other ways that we grow um, is that often, you know, people don't stay in jobs forever. So I might have a really good working relationship with a sourcing person at a company and they move to a new company and they continue to do home textiles. And so they bring me along as one of their trusted vendors. And I really, really appreciate that. I think, um, you know, it proves how hard we work on um, the products and, and how much they trust us that they want to bring us along to their, their new job. Yeah, that's really amazing. And, you know, we talked a lot about your design philosophy and process. I want to go back to the beginning. So how did you end up in this world of textile and carpet design? So I ended up doing textile design. I studied fine art, like I said, and I studied printmaking. And in my last year of my undergraduate degree, and my right the year right after, I was actually working at the New Museum of Contemporary Art. Mm. Um, at that time, it was um, in Soho on Broadway, and I was working managing their bookstore. Mm -hmm. So they had a art bookstore, and um, the director of the museum, um, Marsha Tucker, was a very innovative museum director at the time. She was associated with the New School. She brought a lot of really interesting contemporary artists to the museum, and one of her principles of guiding that museum was that when there was an exhibition in the museum, um, everybody who worked in the museum had to meet the artist and, and get a tour of the exhibit with the artist and really understand um, what the art was about. And so because of this, it, the museum attracted a lot of really interesting employees, including the guards. And hmm. so I befriended a whole bunch of the guards. And <laughs> one in particular was a recent painting graduate from Yale. Oh, wow. And he had done a degree at the Royal College in um, England. And to this day, he's a curator. Um, so I was telling him about my dilemma that I did not want to sit in a studio all day making art in a vacuum and feel feeling very isolated. So I said to him, how could I use my printmaking skills, my desire to be creative, to use color, to use pattern, which were all things that were really interesting to me. And so he suggested to me that I do another degree and I pursue textile design. And he was telling me that um, England had a very long history of textile design and there were lots of options of different programs to pursue there. Some of them were more fiber art based and some were more vocationally based. Some were more oriented towards fashion design. Some were more oriented towards home textiles. Yeah. And so I applied to a few different um, art schools in England for textile design and I got in and then I, I went to Central St. Martin's and I never looked back. It was one of the best decisions I ever made. Yeah, that's such a cute story. And, you know, from there, how did you end up at West Elm? So there was a little bit of in-between stuff. Um, initially, after I finished my degree, I came back to New York and I worked in the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, my first job right out of uh, my master's was for Vivian Tam. So at the time, she was a very influential 
um, fashion designer. And she actually incorporated a bunch of my work right from my master's program um, into her catwalk collection that year, okay. um, 1999, I think it was. And then from there, that was short-lived, I went to work for Ann Taylor in their print and pattern department. Um, so it was a little bit easier at that time to work in the fashion industry than to break into home textiles, which I think was not as big of an industry at that time as it is now where there are so many lifestyle brands. Right. Lifestyle brands really happened in the 2000s. And um, so during that transitional period, I was really working in fashion. I wasn't as passionate about fashion as I was about home. I always felt very, very passionate about home design, um, color, um, rug design, upholstery design. And so it was really natural for me to have the desire to transition into doing home design. Got it. And from West Elm, you decided to join Raj. I would say that's a very unconventional move that not many people even know existed. So how did that happen? So interestingly, when you work for an in-house brand, you have suppliers, just like I'm a supplier to my clients. I had probably 10 different rug vendors that I worked with developing rugs. So Raj was one of my vendors and um, we worked very collaboratively together. I learned a lot. I had visited their facilities multiple times and I really enjoyed working with the owner. I really enjoyed working with the team when I would go to India. And so they actually approached me and asked me if I would be interested in working for them as a creative director. And um, I was on the fence because, you know, it meant going from the client side to on the vendor side. So more of a service industry job. But the benefit was that I would go from designing in one design perspective to learning how to design for many, many different types of clients with lots of different looks. Um, and I felt like that would be a great way to expand my horizons and, and learn how to design for a variety of brands needs. Yeah. So how was the transition like? It was challenging. Right. <laughs> it was challenging. I did feel isolated initially. There were a it was a ton of international phone calls. So we're talking about pre-Zoom days where we oh, actually gosh. made phone calls. And um, I was on the phone to India every day um, and really just trying to figure out everything, like you say, um, building a little office, getting all the supplies I need in terms of Pantone books, foam core boards, magazine subscriptions, you know, wanting to get 50 or 100 different magazine subscriptions to look at what design is looking like all over the world, not just in America. Um, so of course, it involves many trips to India to collaborate with the design team we have in India, and lots of FedEx packages of FedExing them um, designs that I rendered here. And, um, you know, we didn't have Dropbox then. Right. So you actually have to physically mail it to there for them to give you feedback. 13 years ago, I was physically mailing them designs. Oh my gosh. And, you know, now in retrospective, drawing Raj is such a commercial success for both the company and yourself. So now, like, what kind of brands you're working with? Can you give us some example? Well, um... I would say about 30% of our business are those big box businesses I mentioned earlier, like the Home Depot, Lowe's, Targets of the world. 50% uh, of the business is mid-market, so that might be West Elm, Anthropology, Urban Outfitters, Jonathan Adler, Parachute Home, The Citizenry, Borough Home, basically many of the brands that you might think of or see on Instagram. And then a smaller proportion, 15 to 20% of our business, are um, interior designer architectural collaborations and doing products for retail stores. So um, we often have uh, luxury goods companies coming to us and saying we need to redo the rugs in all of our stores. So we might be do the, it's called like a program. We might um, fit out 150 stores with new rugs, or they might want to do their rugs for all their airport stores. So we would do those. And then another part of our business is new, which is really like the private clubs. 
So we've done rugs for WeWork spaces. We've done rugs for the Soho houses, um, for the wing. So there's a really good balance of different types of clients. Yeah. So it sounds like you're the go-to person. I am the go-to person. Um, we don't work with everybody that comes to us. I'm sort of the filter. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a website and people approach us from the website and we get inquiries every single day, but we can't work with everybody that wants to work with us. Um, and it isn't dependent on, let's say, the size of the order. Um, it's still so dependent on the needs of the customer and what their setup looks like. But um, I do scour what's going on in terms of new brands coming out, and I do periodically pitch our services to people. So if there is a client out there that I'm really, really excited about, and I think they're making innovative product, um, and I want to be associated with that, and I think we have something to add, then I will contact them directly and tell them about us and then hope that would lead to a collaboration, and usually it does. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you really made a name for Raj and you guys are in a really great place right now. So, you know, as a leader in the industry, how do you keep innovating and push yourself forward? Well, there you know, many people think of rugs as uh, only a handmade product. And I would say the bulk of what we do produce is handmade. But there are also constant innovations made in technology. So um, I do attend trade shows where they um, show equipment to produce um, new kinds of textile products. So recently we bought um, very innovative digital printing machines. So in the past you could only print on uh, man-made fibers. Now we can print on 100% New Zealand wool um, bases. So we can do very, very detailed patterns on a wool base and it's digitally printed. It's made in a fraction of the time that a handmade rug is made in, but it's a way to innovate and also to speed up production time. We've also invested in things called multi-needle tufting machines, which allow you to also make very um, detailed types of patterns, but using a technique that has a texture. So one is through technology. Um, I, I regularly pre-COVID would visit India and meet with um, suppliers who would show me uh, new fibers. So we've, as of recently, been able to incorporate some of the things I mentioned earlier, like linen, um, like nettle, um, aloe. Uh, we, in the past, have always been able to use New Zealand wool, Indian wool, wools from all over the world, um, viscose, silk, which mm-hmm. is, you know, hand knot rugs are famous for being made out of silk. Um, we also can use um, organic materials like an organic cotton, and we can use recycled materials. This is really special, um, PET. It's made out of recycled plastic bottles. So this has been a great uh, part of innovation where we've been able to incorporate that fiber into so many products that we make. And um, something that's even more new than that is something called Econil. So that is a fiber that is made out of uh, recycled fishing nets. There's actually a mill in Europe that collects the fishing nets and spins them into a fiber and we get shipped to to, to India and we make rugs out of those. So so you can have innovation through the technology of the machinery we, we use and we can have innovation through the materials. And then I would say that innovation now, since COVID has hit, has been the collaboration of working with people through Zoom. Mm-hmm. I carry on my day as if, you know, I normally would have met people at my showroom or gone to their offices, but now we meet every day on Zoom and we screen share and we talk about the design process through a screen. And so mm-hmm. I consider that really innovation as well. That's very true. Um, So, you know, I always ask my guests this question towards the end of the conversation. So looking back, were there moments or factors that helped you to be where you are right now that you consider as luck? I think it was my friend, the guard at the museum. I would say that was a real turning point. And there's a second person that was very influential in my um, choosing to do rug design. Um, When I was at West Elm initially, I wasn't the rug designer at first. 
Mm. So um, a few years after the brand was launched, they brought in a new executive creative director. And um, during her first month at the company, she went around and asked each designer, Are, do you feel you're in the right role at West Elm? And if not, tell me what would be your dream job. Right. And I said to her, I think my dream job would be to become the rug designer. And the next day, she <laughs> changed my role and I became the rug designer. And that was the best turning point, you know, I could have ever hoped for. That was really like launched me. Okay. That's so amazing. And I, I'm very grateful to that opportunity. Yeah. I love that. In the end, I always ask my guests five quick questions. So the first one is, what's your favorite book? So I have a few favorite books. I happen to really love Indian authors. So um, one of my favorite, favorite books is A Fine Balance by an author called Rohinton Mystery. And I happen to really love um, The Namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri. Uh, I think after spending so much time in India, even pre-career, I'd spend a lot of time in India. I really fell in love with the country and really came to appreciate the literature from there as well. Yeah. You must love your job. You already love the culture and then you've been working with them and can travel there all the time. It is a real perk. Yeah. And so do you have a favorite furniture or home decor lifestyle brand? I would say not brands, more stores. Okay. Because brands are two or one dimensional. Yeah. So I like, I have a few stores that I really like. Um, one of my favorite, favorite stores is the Conrad store in London. So Terrence Conrad's creation um, focuses a lot on classic mid-century design. And then it's kind of dappled with um, contemporary furniture and decorative accessories designers. Um, I love a store called Le Bon Marche in Paris. Um, it's a fashion and home store. What's great about visiting there, and I would go often because there's a trade show that takes place there, so I would get the opportunity to go once or twice a year. Um, they always have amazing contemporary art installations. So it's, you feel not only you're going to experience retail, but you get a little bit of art as well. And so that's really fun. Um, across the street from Le Bar Marche in Paris is the Hermes flagship store. And it's built inside of an old defunct swimming pool. So you enter at ground level and then you walk steps to go to below ground level. And it's the whole environment is covered with um, beautiful mosaic tiles. And then they put these fabulous wooden woven structures to create little vignettes in the store. So you have these little shop and shop experiences in these kind of wooden caves. And then in um, New York, you can't really talk about rugs if you don't talk about ABC carpet. You know, going in there, you feel like you're either, you're going to India, or you're going to, the, mm -hmm. to Southeast Asia. It's, you know, extremely colorful. You feel transported when, when one visits there. Um, and then some like lost treasures. Uh, I don't know if you were living in New York then, but there was a store called Moss. It was in Soho. It closed close to 10 years ago. And uh, Murray Moss, would I would consider him really a curator. Mm. And he had this amazing way of displaying um, objects, furniture, um, again, decorative objects, tabletop goods. And you would go in, it was like this huge white room with a platform. And then he would lay the objects out on the platform and he would have the most cutting edge design there. It would, you really feel like if you're going there, you're going to like the, the MoMA. Oh, okay. It felt, again, like very much on the cusp of retail and art, which was amazing. And then I loved Barney's. And I think Barney's is a real miss and a loss now that it's closed. It really was um, the launching pad to so many people's careers. Um, and really, you could go there to see a lot of really innovative fashion mm -hmm. and home. I agree. And since you mentioned art many times in our conversation, so I want to know who are some of your favorite artists? Um, I love um, Brancusi. Mm -hmm. So I love sculpture. It's not something I'm good at. I'm not good at 3D design, but I really have an appreciation for it. I love James Terrell. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so like his rooms that you go in where the ceiling is cut out and you can see the sky. I do love um, Ellsworth Kelly for his color. I love David Hockney I mentioned earlier. And then I do have a favorite um, fiber artist. Mm. I love Sheila Hicks. So she does amazing um, fiber art installations. She's probably in her 80s right now, been working for 50, 60 years, and her work is phenomenal. So next question is, what is the most fun place you've been before? Is it India? <laughs> <laughs> well, India is definitely on the list. It can't not be on the list, but I've been to many places in India. So um some of the most fun places in India I found were in Rajasthan. Um, those are where the palace cities are. Um, so we went riding on camelback in the Tar Desert in Jaisalmer. That was amazing. We've been to a city that's all blue, which was Jodhpur. Amazing. Uh, the pink city of Jaipur, another mm. highlight. But outside of India, I've also had some really fun experiences. Um, I love Indonesia. I went to see an orangutan uh, rehabilitation center in Sumatra Mm. and got to walk around amongst orangutan, which was amazing. And last question, how do you decompress? Not easily. Yeah, it's a challenge. I think there's always some project to be thinking about uh, or tending to, and my brain is constantly moving. I think the best way to escape is to be in nature and somewhere where there's no Wi-Fi. So that's always yeah. a good thing to do. I love going bike riding. And of course, I love going to see art. So those would be the, the best ways for me to attempt to decompress. Yeah. Well, I love that. And this has been so much fun talking and catching up with you. And I really thank you a lot to you know coming to the right angles and have a chat with me about your career and carpet and textile design thank you for having me it was really fun to talk to you thanks for listening to the right angle podcast if you like this episode subscribe and review us on apple podcast spotify or wherever you listen you can stay connected with us through instagram at the right angle podcast or reach out to me personally at elo design I linked everything about my guests in the show notes, so please go check it out. Thanks again for listening, and see you guys next Wednesday.